This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Deacon Danny Cahoot. We're still on mountains, covering, still got a few to go. And uh, I'm actually going to get three of them in today, but the main one is going to be Mount Tabor. Tabor. Tabor is how it's pronounced. But before we get there, we're going to get into the Old Testament. I don't know if you're familiar with Tabor. That is the Mount of Transfiguration. But leading up to that, it's a whole lot leading to that. So let me find out where I want to start. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 34 to start with. This doesn't have much to do with Tabor other than the fact it's Moses' life. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, which is Tabor. Reason why I'm covering a lot with Moses here and Elijah is because when, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to Tabor, there's a lot leading up to that. And when Peter, James, and John came up there, they physically saw Moses. Now I had a guy, a truck driver one time, stop me in the back back here. His wife had just passed, and he got to meditating on that and got real depressed about it because he got to thinking that how do you know that people, when they die, they don't soul sleep, that that's it, they've been in the ground. You can't tell me there's nothing in the Bible about that's it, but then until we get to heaven, and so I told him, I said, well, what about the Mount, Mount Transfiguration where Jesus took Peter, James, and John up there? And they were standing there and they looked and they saw Moses who had been dead 4,000 years. There he was, alive, talking. Elijah, who had been transcended. That's a picture of those that raptured alive and in Christ with his glorified body. I said, but the main thing is there's Moses who had been dead 4,000 years, was alive and sitting there talking. So we'll get into that in a little bit here. And that, that cleared that up for him a little, gave him a little bit of comfort to it and then, uh, about it. But in Deuteronomy, let's start with chapter 33 because we're going to cover a little bit about what happened to Moses leading because there's a, there's a little bit more to it than just them talking to Moses on that mount. When uh, Moses was nearing his death, he had the whole tribe of it, the whole nation of Israel getting ready to get and go into the promised land. They're heading that way. And so Moses has given his last blessings that God would not allow him to go into the Holy Land without going back into the other story about Moses striking the rock instead of speaking to it. God said, because you disobeyed, you're not going to physically go into the Holy Land. Yeah, I mean, you will let the people go in. Joshua will lead them, but you can't go in. You're going to die right here, just on the edge of it. 
And so God gave him a final direction, instructions to give the blessing. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 1. Oh, let's go to chapter 32, verse 52. Yet thou shalt see the land before thee, but thou shalt not go in thither unto the land which I give the children of Israel. Okay, God is telling Moses, you can't go in. Chapter 33, verse 1 of Deuteronomy. And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, the Lord came from Sinai, rose up from Seir unto them, and shined forth unto Mount Paran. Paran, that's another mountain we'll cover shortly. And he came with ten thousands of his saints. Now the saints there are not Christian people. Those are, he's speaking specifically, if you read in the context of it, those he's speaking of angels. That God came down from that mountain with ten thousands of his angels. It calls them saints here. From his right hand went a fiery law for them. Yea, he loved the people and all, and all his saints are in thy hand. We covered last time in Hebrews how all the angels, the thousands and thousands and thousands, they're all ministering spirits. They're all servants for those that are heir to salvation. I'm not going back to that lesson. But the angels are just as real as you and I, and they're sent to do God's business. Yeah, he loved all his saints in the, or in the hand, and they sat down at thy feet. Everyone shall receive the words. Anyway, so to, 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 they were on that mountain right there, which is called Nebo. Nebo and Paran are right there on the outskirts of the Holy Land. And here's what I wanted to show you here. Let's go to verse 34. I'm in chapter 34, verse 1. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo. This is what we're covering right here. I said we're going to cover two or three mountains here. But to the mountain of Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all of the land of Gilead unto Dan, all of Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah and the utmost to, and unto the utmost sea. So what Moses is doing is looking at the entire future nation of Israel. It's kind of like when Jesus was, the devil brought Jesus up to the top of a mountain and says, all of this land I'll give you if you just bow down and worship me. Well, he had already, I'm not going to get into that part of the, of, of it, but you can picture Moses on the top of Nebo just looking at the entire promised land. Every, every square inch of it he could see from the top of Nebo. Verse three, in the south plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees under Zor, and the Lord said unto him, this is the land which I sweared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it thee and thy seed, and I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. So Moses, the, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Moses died. Okay. When they were on, when they were on Tabor, they saw him. 
It says right here in the scripture, Moses physically died. And they buried him in the valley in the land of Moab over against Bethpore. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher even unto this day. So Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural face abated. The children of Israel went for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, and the days of the weeping and mourning of Moses were ended. So Moses didn't die of old age. Moses died because God was ready to move the nation of Israel into the promised land, and he said, you can't go. So God took him, but he gave him a physical death. Okay, now we're going to go just a little bit more to uh, a little bit ahead to uh, Elijah because we're going to be covering these two saints when we get to uh, Tabor. Oh, there it is. Other side. Okay, go to 2 Kings chapter 2. A lot of people don't, uh, I've, I've studied the lives of uh, these apostles too. When you got Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, I'll cover a little bit about those in a minute too. Why was Peter, James, and John, and most of the time Andrew, why were these all four or three, Peter, James, and John, why were they always grouped together? Why were they always running together? Why in the scriptures is always in there was Peter, there was James, and there was John. What about the other other ones, that they always hung together, and there was a reason for that, and we'll get to that here shortly. But Second uh, Kings chapter two. Okay, we just covered the the, the death of Moses right before the promised land entry. He's up on uh, Nebo, overlooking the entire nation of Israel's future land. They went in, and Moses died. Okay, chapter 2 of Second Kings. And it came to pass, the Lord would take up Elijah. Well, let me back up just a little bit here on that. Let's cover a little bit about Elijah before we get to uh, Tabor, the transfiguration. Okay. This is an interesting story leading up to, I, uh, to Elijah's translation. Second Kings chapter 1, verse 1. Then Moab rebelled against Israel and the death of Ahab. And Ahaziah fell down through the lattice in the upper chamber of the Samaria, which was in Samaria, and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go inquire to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this disease. Now he was a leader in Israel, Instead of seeking God's face, instead of going to, to going to God, he's going to Beelzebub. The angel Lord said to Elijah, the Tishbite, Arise and go meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, saying to them, It's not is it not because there is not a God in Israel that you inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt cannot come down from the bed on which thou art gone up, but thou shalt surely die. And Elijah departed, gave him the death sentence from the Lord, not 
Elijah, but from the Lord. And when the messengers turned back to him, they said unto him, why are you now turned back? And they said, there came a man to meet us and said, go unto us, go turn again unto the king that sent you and say unto him, thou, thus saith the Lord, is it not because that there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire Beelzebub, the God of Equin? Therefore thou shalt not come down from the bed which thou art, and thou art gone up, thou shalt surely die. And when they said, what manner of man was just was to come to meet you, I told you these words. They told you these words. And they said, he was a hairy man, girt with girdle of leather about his loins, and said it was Elijah the Tishbite. Okay, the king sent unto him a captain of 50, with his 50, and went up to him. And behold, he sat on the top of the hill and spake to him. Thou man of God, the king said, come down. And Elijah said, see, but Elijah perceived that they were going to, basically because he gave a death sentence to this fellow, they were going to try to knock him off. It doesn't say that, but I'm just looking at why else would Elijah curse all these men? Elijah said unto the captain of 50, if a man, if I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And there came fire down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. He's trying to prove to this bunch of people right here, look, you don't go to Beelzebub. There's a God in heaven and I'm going to prove it right now. And he sent the death sentence to these 50. This happened three times. Uh, let me see. Verse 11. And also he sent unto him another captain of 50 with his 50. And answered and said unto him, O man of God, thus saith the king, said, Come quickly. And Elijah answered and said unto them, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. That's the second batch of 50. That's 102 men right there. And he sent that again, the captain of fifth, third, the third 50 with his 50. And came and fell at the knees before Elijah and besought him and said, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50, these, that 50, thy servants, be precious in thy sight. Behold, there came fire down from heaven and burnt the two captains in the former fifties and their fifties. So I know where I'm doomed. Have mercy. He's basically begging for his life and his men because the king had sent him. He said, look, I have to do what the king said. I have to, I have to come or he's going to kill me. Don't let the fire kill us. Therefore, let my, let my life now be precious in thy sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him and be not afraid. And he rose and went down with him unto the king. And he said, thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast sent messengers to inquire to Beelzebub to God, it is not because there is no God, God in Israel to inquire the word. Therefore, thou shalt not come down off of that bed, which thou art gone, but thou shalt surely die. Okay, leading up to this translation of Elijah, which is, that was a whole lot going into uh, leading up to Elijah being called off to heaven. Okay, and then we'll get to the New Testament. Okay, let's go chapter 2. And it came to pass when the Lord would take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elijah said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, 
I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Okay, let's skip over to uh, verse 6. And Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan and said that as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And the two went on. Elisha won't leave in his side. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they stood by Jordan. Elijah took off his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither. And so they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken from thee. Elisha said, I pray let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I'm taken from thee, it shall be unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and he rent them in pieces and he took the mantle of Elijah and fell from him and went back and stood on the bank of Jordan. So basically, can you see what Elisha was looking at? What started his miracle life? The host of angels coming and putting that, taking Elijah up with the chariots of fire. We covered a little bit about chariots of fire last time. But Elijah was gone. He was translated. He never saw death. This will make sense in a minute as I put it back, put it all together. Moses was at the brink. He was viewing the entire promised land. He could see only, and God said, you can just look, but you can't go. And the nation went in, and the Bible says he didn't die of old age. He didn't die of dim eyes. He, he was 120, but it was not sick. And God just let him die because he was not moving forward into the Holy Land. Okay, so now... Let's go to, oh boy, the New Testament, and we'll get into where I'm at today. Okay, so that was Nebo, Mount Nebo, where Moses looked and saw the promised land, but was not allowed to go in. Okay. Matthew chapter 17. We're going to go to a couple of different scriptures here. I've just got two minutes bookmarks. Matthew chapter 17. Okay, all of the the, the, the one the recordings of all this transfiguration is in, is pretty much scripted the exact same way in in, in other places. But Jesus is talking to these people and, and they were, they was, he was telling them about his crucifixion that's coming up. And he's telling them, what, this is uh, chapter 16, verse 26. He was trying to tell them, look, what is your life? Where are you going to be in another hundred years? What's it all about? What you, you know, you're worrying about this. You're worrying about that. You're fearing about this. What is, what is, what is, what is bothering you? 
What does it profit a man? This is verse 26. If he shall gain the whole world but lose his own soul, what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? The Son of Man came in glory with his angels, and then shall he, he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there's some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man come in his kingdom. In his king, in his kingdom. Okay, a couple of other things I'm going to cover here is, and after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. Now, a lot would, would, I don't know if you realize this or not, but in the early days of Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, John and James were the sons of Zebedee. Peter and Andrew, their, their father's not listed, but Zebedee owned the entire fishing industry in that area. He owned the entire fishing fleet. Andrew and Peter worked on one of his boats and they had their own business. It was like, okay, this is my boat, but you're in business for yourself. You're fishermen. So Peter and Andrew were fishermen on their own boat. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, had a boat and they were all four fishermen. And from early childhood up till they were, till, till they were grown and called as apostleship, they worked together day in and day out fishing. That's what they did. These four fished together for a living. Fish, 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 fish. And then God called them. Now, in early, early, in the early lives of these people, they had to go to the Jewish seminary up until they were 12 years old. Then they could decide whether they wanted to continue on or not. Peter, James, and John, and most of these apostles, they decided not to. At 12 years old, they said, I'm going to stay fishing. I don't want no more, no more of that. But they continued to study and continued to grow and continued to, to learn and look for the Messiah and, and all. But at, at 12 years old, they all decided to just continue to fish. This is why when, uh, the, when, when all these scribes and priests and all this stuff in the upper church said, what are you, you're going to listen to these ignorant and unlearned men? It didn't, he wasn't calling them stupid. It said they quit. They didn't continue their education. And so when he called them ignorant and unlearned men, it was not because they were stupid. It was because they didn't continue on their education. But I just threw that in there to let, to see where, why is it always in the, in, in the Bible? Peter, James, and John always together because they grew up together in the, in the same business. And uh, so here we are in chapter 17 of Matthew. There's one account of it. After six days, after six days of what? Okay. Of Jesus teaching them. Hey, I've got to go. I'm going to, I've got to go. I've got to be crucified. I'm going to be risen again on the third day. This is going to happen to me. They tried to dispute that. So what Jesus wanted to do is say, okay, for one thing, you, I'm going to show you myself in my glorified body. He didn't say that, but this is what happened. Chapter 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. This mountain is called Tabor. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration, but the actual mountain is T-A-B-O-R, Tabor. And he was translated, and was translated transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun 
and his raiment was as white as the light. This is Jesus Christ himself being transfigured right before them, and he is showing them himself as the resurrected Savior. Before This is before the crucifixion in a glorified body. He's saying, look, it's not going to be over when they kill me. Look, it's, it's, it's just the beginning. I have to die. I have to go, for this is the cause I'm sent. And here's the, here's the cool part on this Mount Tabor. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses. Now Moses had been dead 4,000 years. To me, that is just astonishing miracle right there. Can you imagine somebody that, that you've heard about? I mean, you just put it on a small scale. Suppose you were sitting there and all of a sudden, there's George Washington. He's been dead 200 years. Can you imagine? And you're talking to him. And there he is. I mean, that's not going to happen. I mean, we know that's not going to happen. But these people, this man, Moses, has been dead 4,000 years. That gives us, you give every one of us hope. When we close our eyes in death, it's just the beginning. We don't soul sleep. We don't float around in purgatory. We don't float. We go immediately into the presence of God and we're safe. I mean, I can't imagine the feeling of somebody when you first close your eyes in death and you know that you're saved, nobody really knows what it's going to be like. We don't know what it's, but, but it's over. Not another nail to have to drive, not another corn cob to pluck, not another tractor to drive, not another car to work on. No, it's over. And you know what's, what's, what's cool about it? You recognize them. They knew it was Moses. We don't have to sit there and say, well, I wonder who that is. We'll know even as we're known. And there was Moses who'd been dead 4,000 years, and they recognized him. They knew who he was, and there he is. Wow. Can you imagine that? And there was Elijah talking with them. Okay. Elijah, he never saw death. He went up to heaven in a whirlwind on a chariot of horses, chariots of fire. The angels just took him right up into heaven. Moses is a complete picture of the of when we die in Christ, we're immediately in the presence of the Lord. Elijah is a perfect example because he was translated into the presence of God of if the rapture takes place right now, we go up alive. We which are alive and remain will be caught up together with those. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's a perfect example of that, of that. And then Peter say, answered unto the Lord, It is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. They weren't, they weren't afraid when they were with Jesus. They were afraid of hearing, physically hearing the voice of God thunder out of heaven. And here's, here's, a, here's another beautiful part of it is you've got Moses who God says, you can't go into the Holy Land because you struck the rock. God and his omniscience peeled back, peeled ahead of time and let Moses 
stepped right on the Holy Land. Moses got to enter in. He got to put his feet down. I, I, that's grace. That's God said, hey, you're, you're in. I let you do it. I mean, not while you're alive, but you are alive. But he finally, he couldn't go in then, but he's in now. And I thought, I thought that was a pretty interesting point, too. My brother and I have talked about that before. And here's, here's, here's what baffles me about a Christian life. Mind myself, too. I mean, I don't know why I let, get so agitated at things. I don't know why I get so worked up on things. Why I get so aggravated and fearful and, and, and just, I get angry. I got a temper sometimes of ignorance. I mean, I can tolerate pretty much anything, but, but, but stupidity, I've got zero tolerance for. And, uh, I don't do that here in the church, but outside them doors, I'll call it out. I'll call it out instantly. And I've, my wife, she gets so mad at me, uh, because if I see somebody stupid, I tell them, you know, you're stupid. And, uh, she said, you're going to get shot one of these days. I said, well, so be it. I'm not scared of dying. I mean, anyway, I'm not here to talk about that, but. Uh, can you imagine this experience these people had? Peter, James, and John. And uh, what they've seen. What they've seen. They've seen the glorified Savior. They've seen a man that's been dead 4,000 years. They've seen a man who was translated. And they come on down. And now all of a sudden look at the same story, which is, I'm going to read it in a different chapter too. And when they, verse 8, and when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them saying, tell no, tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. He didn't want anybody to see a glorified body yet. He didn't want nobody to know about that. But after he's risen from the dead, then you can tell him about it because then I'll be glorified. Then it's just going to create a bunch of problems. If you sit there and say that you see me in a glorified body. Okay. And verse 10, and the disciple says to, said to him, when, why then saith the scribes that Elias must come first? That's Elijah. Jesus answered and said to him, Elias truly shall be first to come and restore all things. Okay. That's, that's one verse that backs what the pastor preaches on sometimes about Elijah being one of the ones that he's going to teach on that here in a little while. Okay, verse 14. Here's, here's what I just don't understand. You've got these disciples, these apostles who walk with Jesus, but here's three of them that just came down from a mountain looking at Moses who had been dead 4,000 years, looking at Elijah who had been transcended. These, this is ancient, and they're talking with these men, and all of a sudden, they're presented with a challenge in life. And what do they do? Where's their faith? How strong would your faith be if you happen, if God let you open in your eyes and see somebody who'd been dead 4,000 years? Would that, would you ever doubt anything at all? Like we, like we shouldn't anyway. Just look at what God's brought you through your entire life as it is. Verse 19, and when they were coming to come to the multitude, they were coming down. There were always a multitude around Christ. There came to him a certain man kneeling down to him saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. He's sore vexed 
And oftentimes he falleth into fire and often into the water. About to drown himself. I got to watch him every move he makes. He's, he, he's, 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 he's attempted suicide often, often, often. I just can't, I can't let him out of my sight. And I brought him to the disciples and they could not cure him. Now, why, why couldn't they? Where's, how in the world can you not have enough faith to call on the name of Jesus? It, it can't be because they were backslidden. It was doubt. It was complete doubt. Mark 11. Let me read this real quick. This wasn't part of my lesson, but I'm going to read it anyway. Because before I get into the doubt part, Mark chapter 11. I think that's it. Yeah. Let's look at Mark 11, chapter 22. Now we're not, we're not, we're not talking about stupidity here. I mean, faith, we all know what faith is. I can't expect for me to sit here and take a match and say, okay, I'm going to light this, I'm going to start a forest fire. Pour the gas on, I'm going to start this fire. And I want you to see my faith. Start this fire and it's blazing. Oh God, put the fire out, Lord. I want you to just show your mighty power and put this fire. You know, self-inflicted pain, the unnecessary anguish, unnecessary trouble. God very seldom will intervene with that. He will if I, if I start it and it's going to affect you. But he will on your behalf, not because I'm stupid, if that makes sense. God does not want us to tempt him with our faith. But look at this Mark 11, chapter 20, chapter 11, verse 22. Jesus said unto them, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed. Now God knows good and well. You know, context can tell you. He's not talking about going up to a mountain and saying, be thou removed. He's talking about challenges in your life that take supernatural power to overcome. He's talking about things in your life that creep in that you have no control of, that you have to have God to take it and remove it. You have to have the healing. You have to have the, the you have to have God's supernatural. And you can sit there and if you truly, truly believe that God said what he said to be true, you can claim that as a promise. It says, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea. Okay, problem, be done with it. I'm going to turn it over to God. If it's his will, he'll do it. If it's not, he won't, but it's his, not mine. And cast thou into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. You see that? Mark eleven twenty two and 23. Jesus said unto, answered, and said unto him, Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, Whatsoever things, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. But there's a condition. This is a condition right here. When you stand praying, forgive. Because see, if, if we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. 
And if we've got unconfessed sin that has not been forgiven in our lives, God is just going to stand there waiting for us to, to confess. He's just not going to sit there and anoint us with His blessings if, if we don't have forgiveness of our own lives. But we can't have forgiveness unless we forgive. And so this is 99% of our faith. You have to release forgiveness so that you can have forgiveness to get cleansed, to stand before a holy God so He can move on your behalf. I mean, this is Scripture, folks. Because look here, when you stand praying, verse 25, if you have ought against any, yeah, but you don't know what He's done to me. You don't know what He said to me. You know what He did to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to let that go. In verse 25, let's read it. And then when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, that your Father also in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. So in order for you to get answers to your prayers, in order for us to get touch with God, to get Him to move on our behalf, it has to be pure. It, hadn't, it can't be, well, I'm doing it because it's in here. No, we have to from the heart release it so God can move. Because if we ask God to forgive us, we first have to forgive ask for those that have trespassed against us to forgive them. Just totally release it. Because if we don't, we don't get forgiveness. And then we got, we're harboring unforgiveness in our lives and God can't move. Okay. Let's go back then to where we are. Okay, I had to put that in because here's the belief part. Okay, you got Moses, Elijah, and Jesus in a glorified body. You got Peter, James, and John who are sitting there looking at a man who had been dead 4,000 years. You got, to look, you got Peter, James, and John looking at someone who was translated up. They come down off the mountain this experience that they've had, they want to build, they want to stay there and worship, but they've got work to do. So they come down and immediately are tested with their faith. Here we are, back at Matthew chapter 17. Let's go back to verse 14 of chapter 17 of Matthew. And when they were come to the, come to the multitude, they just come down off the mountain now. The transfiguration. There came to him a certain man kneeling down to him saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and, a, and sore vexed and oftentimes falls in the fire and often in the water trying to kill himself. I brought him unto the disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered, says, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. Bring, bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil and departed out of him and the child was cured from that hour. Then the disciples came to him, Jesus apart, saying, Why couldn't we do it? Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say to this mountain, or this problem, he's not saying, literally throw a mountain into the sea. He's just not saying that. He knows good and well we don't have that much faith. It's talking about challenges in our life, things that come up in your life that you have no control of, that you need supernatural power, that you've got to have God. You've got to be prayed up. Remove and yonder hence and to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible for you. How be it? 
This kind goes out not but by prayer and fasting. I've got to stop. I've got to stop right there. But, but, but looking back on it, it goes, so to be prayed up in order to have God move on your behalf, first, we have to forgive. Then we can get forgiveness. Once we get forgiveness, then we can get that close relationship for God to move. If we do not forgive, the Bible says he will not forgive us. And if he doesn't forgive us, that means we're walking around with unforgiven sin in our lives and God is not going to anoint, God is not going to sit there and say, so I can walk around, see, I did it without that. See, I didn't need all that forgiveness stuff. You know, he's just not going to do, elevate us to where an ego can come in and say, have, show that I had anything to do with it. And I'm going to have to stop. I was going to go to uh, when Jesus was telling them when you fast, okay, he took four, four basics of that. When you pray, not if you pray. When you give, not if you give. When you fast, not if you fast. I'm not going to get on fasting, but there are secrets, folks. There are secrets. And when you really need Him, when you really need Him, He knows our heart. He knows. He can see it. And I'm going to have to stop with that. You listen to Deacon Danny Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.